Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Post Traumatic Survival Podcast, a show that helps you rewire your brain to survive and thrive. Join your host, Ozzy Martinez Jr., a Marine, a combat disabled vet, husband, and father, as he shares his firsthand knowledge and experience of hitting rock bottom, almost ending it all, and then turning it around. Dive into the rewired minds of thriving survivors. This show is an in-depth look at post-traumatic survival. And now, Ozzy. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? I hope everybody's having a great, great Monday. This is an amazing show for me. I know exactly what show I'm filming right now, recording. Normally, I record a ton, and I'm always confused on what I'm talking about. But today is Monday, April 13th, 2020, the anniversary of April 13th, 2004. That is uh, the first day that I ever experienced a loss with somebody I served with. A lot of the guys I had served with, you hear my previous podcast had deployed before us and had already been some hardened combat veterans. And I was a young one in, uh, in 2004. So this episode I'm dedicating to Corporal Kevin Combs and he was our first uh, Marine killed in action. And um, it was a tough one for us, but this show's amazing because I have three individuals with me that were also there with us in 2004, part of alpha company. But these individuals were, a lot closer to Kevin than I was. Um, they were actually in the platoon with him. I have his best friend here, uh, two of his best friends, and one a gentleman that drove for him for a while. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce uh, Eric, Kurt, and Rudy. Thank you so much for being on the show, brothers. Thanks. Yeah, yeah thank you. Glad to be here. All right. So, um, you know, I'll try to call out names so that my listeners know who, who it is that we're talking to and, um, you know, who's speaking. So I'm just going to go ahead and go straight into it. Um, right before we, we started recording the show, I, I was blown away. Uh, Eric, you, it was right before you had logged on to the zoom. So I record all my shows on zoom and on, uh, on my mixing board and, uh, Rudy and Kurt were talking to each other and they were showing each other. Well, they were talking about, you know, memorabilia and stuff that they have and uh, keepsakes. And uh, Kurt showed some pretty interesting stuff. And uh, if you don't mind, Kurt, uh, I, I would like to start with you, man. What is it that you had? Because uh, Eric, Eric wasn't able to see it, man. But let me tell you, dude, I saw it and, and it gave me chills. Yeah, so <clears throat> yeah, on April 13th, after Kevin had got, had got killed and we uh, had his vehicle back. Uh, where, you know, obviously we had to pull his body out of the vehicle and I will get to that later. Um, I got this piece off the vehicle from that day and it looks, it doesn't look like much, but it's actually the end of a mooring cleat. Wow. And it, it just, it sheared right off. And then I got his, um, his Coke bottle for the 50 cal. Wow, that's huge. I've, I've had it all these years, and um, yeah, I never really showed anybody except for you guys now. It's just been sitting in a uh, sitting in a chest out in my garage, and 
nobody knew I had it except now for you guys. See, I I, uh, I talk about that, Kurt, in one of my previous episodes that we try to we go through our some of our events and we go through them and we try to pack them up in a sea bag and put them away. And, you know, mentally, we think you put that Coke bottle and that morning cleat away, but it's not. You know, it never goes away. Um, it's always there. It's all the memory is always there as well. So, um, you know, let's let's start off where um, how this whole thing started today. I made a post on Facebook and, and Instagram looking for individuals that I had served with and uh, fingers started getting pointed in the right directions. And Eric, Eric called me and he was like, hey, man, I, I got some good ideas on who we should uh, who we should go after and who you should talk to. So, I mean, let's go ahead and start with you, Eric, man. How was how was your connection with? You know, what was your connection with Kevin? I, uh, you, were, you were talking about, you know, you were his driver. I mean, there's so much, so much about our platoon that my listeners already know. You know, they know who, who Puckett is. They hear me talk about him. Right. And, and um, you know, I remember how this, how this all started and stuff. You were, you were Kevin's driver, correct? Yeah, yeah. So my, like you, I was a very young Marine. I was probably one of the last um, Marines to come to Alpha Company Third Tracks right before they went back to Iraq because they, they had already been. And the company had gotten kind of restructured, brought in some new people. And Kevin uh, was one of them. He was originally with Bravo Company. And he came over as an NCO, as a corporal to the platoon. Um, as we kind of got restructured to, to eventually get ready to go back into Iraq for that, for that company. And for me, it was my first time um, deploying first time combat and, and just being new into the platoon. Um, so I was, I was very young, 20 years old and, uh, not knowing a whole lot. And, um, for, for amount of time I was in his section, second section and was, um, one of his crewmen on that vehicle as me and Puckett. And that's kind of where I started, um, there. And so he was, you know, I definitely looked up to him a lot as an NCO. I was definitely scared of him. Yeah, we were we were speaking about that. <laughs> he, he, yeah, yeah, you know, because he was so squared away. I was, I was, we're, I was more scared of yeah. how starched his cover was. So I was scared of you his know, cover. His cover was super pointy. His super cover pointy, was on point, man. So <laughs> all the time, all the freaking time. And I remember he wore, you know, it was a big deal. So when I came in, I joined the Marine Corps he literally the right boots. when the war started. I went to boot camp March 26, 03. And so I'm a digi, what we'll call a digi Marine. I didn't come in with tricolors. And I remember he had tricolors on and they were super pressed down and just immaculate, you know. And so back then when you came in, if you were still wearing tricolors, that, that meant something. That was, that was a big deal. And so, yeah, he was, he was super squared away. Definitely an NCO. You didn't want to let down. You didn't want to, to piss off. Um, he was definitely kind of that perfect NCO where he had just enough discipline to keep you in line, but not so much where it just got dumb. It was, he, he really, you learned from him. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely learned a lot and, and, and I, I ended up getting moved vehicles right before he we went into Iraq and I got bumped to a different section, a different vehicle. And I was really bummed out about that because I really wanted to, to be in combat with this guy. And ended up going and, and um, being on a different vehicle, but um, but yeah, so it was definitely one of the NCOs I looked up to for sure. The one of the most. 
So you got to experience him, man, during that that whole workup, that whole workup area, that whole workup time where you know where we're getting to know each other right before we go to combat, man. So we end up spending a lot of time when we get to Kuwait. I remember um, there was a lot of just that hurry up and wait. You know, we were under the impression that we were we were ready to go to war. And yet we get there and now we're waiting, waiting, waiting. So I remember we were all sitting around and uh, we ended up working afterwards as uh, platoons. And that's where the company got to know each other. So, you know, we got to spend a lot of time in tents and we got to experience a lot more time to with each other where even though we're there together, that whole deployment and we know each other's ranks, there is some times though where you take your chevrons off. Rudy, you... You, man, you, I was looking through my computer here and my iPad. I can't find it. I had pictures of your notebook that you had written. You were an amazing uh, journal writer while we were out there. And I'm pretty sure um, what you wrote that day and what you read, uh, you ended up reading it in that reunion that we had with Kulak. But I'm pretty sure you know some of it. Um, if you don't mind sharing some of that, man, with me and with us right now so that we could we can go through that day and talk about you know, what it is that happened, what it is that happened that day that touched every single one of us in that company and changed our lives forever. Man, uh, I, and I really want to, and, uh, and, and I will, if you like in about 10 minutes, <laughs> I'll be at home and I'll, I'll pull the journal out from the, uh, little fucking place that I haven't hidden. You see, and, ladies and, and gentlemen, I'll, I'll, I'll fucking, I'll read all of it. Oh, know? look, look. So, so I'm live right now. You know, I'm going to go ahead and post this, this, this like this, man. So I'm live right now. And I got, I got people chatting right here on, uh, on Facebook. <laughs> so I got PJ. Oh man, PJ, PJ's here. And PJ's asking, ask Holler. You talking to Holler? <laughs> ask Holler <laughs> about him and Kevin at Mardi Gras in 2004. No, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> no, we're not going to talk, talk about that. PJ, sorry, we are not talking about that. Yes, Reyes is there too. You know what, PJ, I'm going to send you the link right now, brother. If you want to join on with us, it's a Zoom. Um, I would love to have you on board to hear PJ. But uh, but yeah, dude, uh, so Holler says he's not going to talk about that. It's not going to go on the podcast. But brother, uh, I'm going to send you the, the, the link now, PJ. Um, so, you know, Holler, you were, you were talking to me, man earlier and you were telling me what your I mean what your only memory is and it hurts me to hear that because everybody that I spoke to I called so many people before I called you um to ask if they wanted to talk and it it just never it's not that it didn't dawn to me how close you guys were it's just that i know that you spoke a lot about him and i know that you've been through some dark times so i didn't want to reach out to you for this but everybody kept on saying talk to kurt because him and kevin were close him and kevin were close so it hurt me earlier today when you told me that you know your only memories are uh recovering his body and the vehicle so i mean if you don't mind you know talking about that a little bit you know talking about how it is that that day has changed you, bro, because earlier you mentioned as well that you've finally come to terms and have been going to treatment, you know, for your PTSD and stuff like that. And that's what this is about, dude. This is about us talking about it, making it normal, uh, making it normal that you got it. I got it. Eric got it. Rudy got it. 
Um, everybody pretty much fucking got it. And uh, it's normal, dude. Uh, it, it doesn't make us crazy. It doesn't make us. It doesn't make us anything. Anything negative that's been stigmatized. So, so please, brother, talk to me and tell me, bro, because when you spoke earlier to me, you, it, it, I mean, it, it, it pained me. You know what I'm saying? And I, I want my listeners to understand that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I would say, I mean, I'm gonna say Kevin and I were close. I mean, we did stuff together. I mean, like PJ was talking about, we went to, we did Mardi Gras before we um, deployed, and you know, had you know, wild time. And I'll, I'll just say it this way: I, I've seen Kevin naked, so you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that I mean, any Marine listening right now just cracked up because you're like, for real, that's not nothing new. That's the only thing I'm. That's the only thing I'm going to say about uh, Mardi Gras. I know, right? Oh boy. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I. It's hard for me to remember, like, to remember those things about Kevin, because I remember seeing him in in one piece, intact, with his body, and he. Um, we would always do this like double salute when we would leave. So he, um, he was up in his turret and I looked up at him and I did the old dub. I did the double salute and he did it to me. And I just thought, man, we'll see you soon. Like it's, you know, no big deal. Just another mission. Um, five minutes later, that was a whole different story. Um, and I remember when, when, uh, you know, I brought my vehicle out there to Kevin's to try to tow it. And uh, it was just full of black smoke. It was. Uh, it looked like uh, the vehicle was in defilade, so it looked like somebody had dug a hole for the vehicle to get inside of. And um, I asked, I jumped out and I asked Rudy, I said, hey, man, where's Kevin? And he just pointed at the turret. And uh, I remember I ran to the turret to the side of the vehicle, and it was really hot in my face, and... Uh, I couldn't see anything. And I remember I ran back and I knelt down in front of a Humvee that was beside this building. And, and I cried, like I, I physically, like I, I broke down and sobbed, uh, for probably about a, two minutes, maybe a minute. I mean, I sobbed and then, uh, I ran back over. I talked to the platoon sergeant and I jumped in the turret and I asked him, Hey, where do you want me to shoot? And he said, uh, they were getting shot at by a sniper, so they marked the building. And I remember shooting that with Mark 19, and I just kind of – we were in a firefight for probably, I don't know, like 45 minutes. Yeah, it was for a while. An hour, an hour or so. And uh, I remember we got – once we got to that part where we were taking Kevin's body out of the vehicle, that was – you know, fast forward, we get to the clover leaf at Fallujah, and um, – there's, I think there's only like three of us maybe pulling stuff out. And I remember finding his uh, rifle because he always sat in the turret with his rifle. And that was, um, that was actually melted to this, to his leg. So it, the only thing I got out was a, a piece of his bone from his uh, shin. And that was melted to the rifle. And for 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 the listeners that don't know that weren't there with us, um, our vehicles are up armored. I wouldn't say everybody thinks we're tanks. 
and we're not. We're we're these tank looking vehicles, about fourteen feet tall, real wi- real long, real wide uh, tracked vehicle. We have a turret on the right side, and they're made out of uh, aluminum. Um, you know, some sort of uh, aluminum. We're 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 beer cans. We're, we're meant to float off ships and carry troops onto the beach and drop them off and and follow them and 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 so supply cover while we do that and um while we're in iraq you know we there there is no beach and we're used now as troop carriers just while we're out there and uh kevin's vehicle did take i mean approximately what was it about eight over eight rpgs i think it was over a dozen it was 13 rpgs 13 rpgs so 13 rpgs to the side of a vehicle and you had Marines sitting in the back and uh, Kevin on the turret. They, so yeah, they were armor piercing RPGs too. I don't think they weren't just regular RPGs. Correct. So yeah. that's, that's where I want you guys to understand what it is that Kurt and um, his brothers walked up to because, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's unexplainable a little bit when, when you hear that, what, like what, what could have caused that, but that's what caused that. And, you know, in other words, um, as you hear the the details, you know, um, Kevin, you know, Kevin burned in his vehicle, and uh, if you guys don't mind, um, I have PJ is asking to join our thing. I'm gonna go ahead and bring him on. Um, give me a second here. All right, uh, Rudy is also on a wait here because his video is waited. He's probably, he's probably going inside. Yeah, he's house. changing his house yeah, or whatever. Getting so, set up. Uh, Kurt, do you remember more of like? what you all were doing what was the mission at the time and like why you know what was kevin doing at the time like what were yes yeah, so like, we, i kind of remember a little bit you know but i would like to hear from you uh we were attached to a uh, fifth marines it was a uh, bravo company one five and uh they had put out a there was a route violet inside of Fallujah that they didn't want us to go past. And somehow one five, it got clearance to go past uh, route violet. And um, my vehicle was parked facing route violet. Kevin's vehicle was parked off to the side, kind of by Bravo one five COC. He was, um, he was our eighth vehicle in the section. So he was our mortars vehicle. Um, I don't think he ever had mortars on his track, but that's what he was used for. So, um, he wanted to go on this mission so bad. And basically it was, uh, they had, they found where there was like a bed of insurgents in right past route violet. <clears throat> they were going to push one vehicle in, have Kevin's vehicle go around on a flank and basically push the insurgents towards Kevin's vehicle, toward a section, toward a squad of Marines. They would be able to take them out as they were, you know, leaving Fallujah or this little uh, town, it sounded simple. It didn't sound like they were doing much. And then, um, man, they left. And I think within like two minutes, uh, we lost radio communication with Kevin's vehicle and Rudy's vehicle got hit with an RPG and uh, was disabled. I had to go out and tow that, tow his vehicle. And then Rudy and a couple other guys jumped in the Humvee and they were heading out with one five. And I guess at that point, that's when Kevin had already got hit. Um, You know, and there was a Lieutenant that got wounded during that time too. It was um, 
Lieutenant Ayers. That's what it, that was his name. Mm-hmm. And um, he lost the back of his, uh, uh, like the back of his thigh. What is that? Your quad? Yeah, yeah, yeah like his hand, like his hand. hamstring. Yeah. Hamstring. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So his ham. He lost his right hamstring. And what I was told is Puckett tried to pull him out of the vehicle. The platoon sergeant ended up getting him out. Puckett tried to get Kevin out and pulled so hard on his flak jacket, he ripped the shoulders out of his flak jacket. That's how hard Puckett was pulling. And then Puckett tried to go back out and get him again. And, uh, and he, he couldn't pull him out. And so Kevin was stuck. He, I think he took an RPG to the chest. It went through the headlight and then some other RPGs came in through the side and um, he was pinned in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, and it's a small space inside that. Yeah, track. You know that. Tight. He couldn't get out. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember the biggest piece that I pulled out of the vehicle from Kevin. I was, I found something like against the side of the track and I started pulling on it and it was his flak jacket that had like fused around his upper body. And so when I ripped that off, I remember the flak jacket tore and I could see his spinal cord and basically rib cage. And that got pulled out and put inside of the, the body bag. And I don't remember recovering too many parts of Kevin's body, to be honest. Wow. And, um, and we took him to Bravo surgical at Camp mm-hmm. Fallujah. And I remember the corpsman looked at us when me and Rudy carried him up and the body bag was kind of folded in half and the corpsman looked at us and said, man, he must've been a small guy. And it was like, we couldn't even react to what he had just said. It was, and from there, I mean, we had to go in and talk to Alcantara because Sergeant, you know, he was a sergeant. Yeah, he had just he ran. Got, he had ran over there to try to, and he got peppered in the legs. Or well, he got wounded. Yeah. yeah. When mm-hmm. he was on Rudy's, he was the, he was our a slash. Yeah. He got wounded, took shrapnel in the knee. He was in Bravo surgical. Man, so. dude. So, so he was already, Alcantara was already at Bravo surgical <laughs> before the body, before Kevin's body was taken over there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So Alcantara got wounded. Rudy can probably tell the story because I just know what was said is that Alcantar jumped out of the turret, ran across yeah. the top of the vehicle, jumped out off the front of the track. And that's why his be- legs got like, peppered, right? Yeah. Laid beside, like he was, had strapped on his leg, mm-hmm. laid by like a berm and he jumped in the back of a Humvee and the Humvee drove him to Bravo surgical. So Alcantar had no idea what was happening. He was like, wounded. Yeah. he was wounded. And they took him out. Gone. Wow. Yeah. And when I went out to Rudy's vehicle, it was Rudy and voice. Right. And that was it. And the back of the vehicle was all smoky black and yeah. Damn wow. It, brother. So I, I, I'll just chime in real quick yeah, from man. a different perspective. I was in third section and um, at the time we were attached to, to Charlie one five. Um, so a different company from, from one, one from fifth Marines. And, um, it, it, I didn't see any of this. I didn't experience any of this, but I heard it all happening via over the radio. We were listening to it and, um, we had a different mission. We were actually in like, like the landfill of Fallujah. 
literally we were in like trash. It's where we were, we were set up um, kind of covering a flank of the west side of the city. And um, and I so badly wanted to go, you know, over there to hear what's happening and knowing that that's my platoon. I, as, as a young Lance Corporal, I didn't understand what it meant to be to like, that's my platoon. Why can't I, why can't we go over there and help? Why can't we go over there and, and lend some assistance or, 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 and I still struggle that today. A lot of times of thinking like, you know, um, I should have just started the vehicle up and just drove over there, you know, and, and, and did something. And, um, and so that was, that, that's hard. You know, it, it, it's a different type of, you know, situation pain to hear what's happening, knowing that that's just not your job at the moment to do that, even though it's, it's your brothers and your, your guys that are over there. And uh, so that, that was hard for me. And then just to listen to everything and, and know what was happening. And then to hear, we didn't know there was a loss, but then we knew that someone had died. We didn't know who. And then I remember hearing that they were going to, they were talking over the radio about blowing the vehicle in place. I remember hearing that, that they were going to, they were going to, I don't know, have like a, a, a Harrier or something fly over and drop a bomb in place. But then, then someone else came over the radio and said, no, we're going to go and get our vehicle. And from, and Kurt, maybe y'all can kind of clear this up. But from what I remember, it ended up being um, uh, either M1 Abrams or the, the Hercules to go in there and actually pull the vehicle out as opposed to blowing in place. Yeah. So like during that whole time we were in that firefight, Rudy was on the ground trying to hook up my vehicle to tow and he couldn't do it because Kevin's track was melted into the ground. And uh, I mean, Rudy was down there. I think he had, there was rounds getting that were cooking off and there was all sorts of stuff. Rudy has a whole other story about that too. So I wasn't on the ground. Um, I was just trying to provide, you know, as much fire support as I could. Um, I remember a platoon of tanks came in and they, they kind of took over. They main gunned a house in front of my track and they told me to move. <laughs> yep. and I, I moved my vehicle. Everybody in the section got in the back of my track and a Mike 88 came in, a, a Hercules, and he, he hooked up the, uh, is that what it's called? The Hercules? Yeah, the Hercules yeah. recovery vehicle. Just Mike 88. I don't know. Yeah, Mike 88, whatever. It came in and uh, and towed Kevin's vehicle, and it didn't really tow it. It just drug it across the ground. The, the tracks were were gone. It, yeah, I remember seeing it pass by. It was bad. Up, up, yeah. on, up on the highway headed back to Camp Fallujah um, as we were sitting and desolate in, in this freaking landfill and knowing that, holy shit, something. Because, I mean, it was melted down, that vehicle. Almost, unless you knew what an Amtrak looked like, it was pretty unrecognizable. Totally, totally. All right, so, uh, Rudy, we got you back, man. Uh, you're finally yeah, safe on ground. You're not driving anymore, so... Uh, we got we got your notes or what, brother? Yeah, I got the notes, bro. Uh, All right, so we're gonna go ahead and uh, if you don't mind, Rudy, go ahead and uh, walk us through that day, dude. Because I remember, so yeah, the reason why this episode is so big for me, dude, is because Rudy was there that day and PJ was there that day in 2014, where my life changed. Um, 
I spoke about it in my previous episodes and in my intro in episode one. I was at the point in 2012, 2013, after my wife and I had been separated, that I no longer wanted to live anymore. Um, I was praying every single day for God to take my life because nobody, I felt alone. Nobody in Miami understood me. Nobody in my family understood me. None of my friends understood me. And then when I would look online to what, you know, is really fake book, not Facebook. And I would look online to see how the guys I served with are doing. All I would see is how great their fucking life was with these pictures. So I really felt, I really felt alone. I felt like, fuck man. Did I, was I the only asshole that experienced Iraq and, and is crying and, and is depressed and whatnot. So when I, you know, I, I was praying every day for, for the end of my life. And I get a call from Kulak and he was like, Hey man, I'm doing this reunion to mark the anniversary. I want you to come up. He didn't tell me much about the interview. Uh, sorry, the reunion. I do go up there. And when I get there, uh, he said there was a surprise for me, for us. Um, I got to see Rudy PJ. Uh, the surprise was that Puckett's family was there. Um, that was the first time I had met them. I got to meet, you know, Puckett's mom, uh, Puckett's sister, and Puckett's brother. And Rudy was, hey, guys, you know, if you don't mind, on September 13th, 2014, exactly 10 years later, Rudy went ahead and read his journal. Um, so Rudy, man, if you don't mind, dude, go ahead and share it with us today. Um, so that our, our, you know, my listeners can go ahead and experience what it is that we just went through. And as they'll hear in other episodes, they need to understand that what happened to us on, on April 13th literally had to end at 11:59 PM because the following day we had to get back to work. So we had to put all of that away, not dwell, not, not do anything and get back to work. So, uh, Rudy, go ahead, brother, share, share, share this day with us for us. All right, bro. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just going, I was trying to get all my stuff together. I just got here from, uh, you know, whatever I found this too. Yes. From the reunion. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> that, man let me tell you dude that that reunion changed my life uh like i said i came back from that reunion and i remember drinking around the fire pit and talking to you a lot and you were very honest with your feelings you know and you know i i asked i asked things you know i asked does anybody else always depressed or ever want to die and and you know a lot of us you know agreed to certain things but um the reason why i want you to read this bro is because you started reading it that day and I'll never forget, uh, I think it was uh, Sue was sitting right next to me, uh, Puckett's mom. And then she started crying, and I couldn't take it anymore, and I got up and left. Yeah, so I found it. All this right. This little book right here. Yeah. So uh, I kind of started it, man. Like, I I don't know. I think I picked up more writing in my journal than I did uh, after everything that happened, uh, just because I felt like I needed to get all that shit out, man. And um whatchamacallit, that was the only way that I could do it. And so I just kept it going. But uh, so anyway, without further ado. Adieu. Right. Adieu. <laughs> uh, I think this was basically the way that I wrote this. I was trying to write a statement, too, for uh, uh, Stassar Lynn came up to me. He's like, dude, you need to write down a statement and tell me exactly how everything fucking happened. So I was like, all right, bro. So. On the day of 13, April 13, 2004, second section, third platoon, was currently attached to Bravo 15. 
On this particular movement, vehicles 307 and 308 were to move from current pause to defilade position just west of MSR Violet. Upon linking up with the infantry on the deck, 307 was to pick up the infantry and move forward about 500 meters to a defilade position in order to suppress the house with lots of enemy activity. Vehicle 308 was, to my understanding, to utilize a type of envelopment around the adjacent blocks in order to catch the enemy as they were being flushed out by vehicle 307. As vehicle 307 proceeded down the alley, it was being bombarded heavily with small arms fire and very inaccurate RPGs. Uh, myself, the driver of 307, was immediately informed that both guns were jammed over the intercom by Assistant Section Leader Sergeant Alcatar. Upon hearing this, I immediately looked for a way out of the dead-end alley that we had come to. Seeing low power lines in a far alley, we headed for it and moved down all the, mowed down all the power lines and derelicts in the way to escape the enemy fire, unable to return engagement. As we reached the safety of our old pause and the current pause of 305, we <clears throat> fixed the weapons and the comm, which had also caused problems. After that, the crew chief and myself asked the infantrymen and the TC to tell us where we're supposed to go and that we weren't running around blind again like we did the last time. At that time, he informed me that they needed to be taken to the platoon COC, which was down the alley that we had just come from. They also informed me that we needed to make another run down the same path because they had missed three to five individuals. I informed Sergeant Alcatar what the plan was, and we proceeded back down the alleyway. Only this time, the enemy was waiting, and he hit us with an RPG that pierced through the EEC armor just in front of the turret on the starboard side. The cabin began to fill with smoke, and immediately the vehicle began to lose power. I didn't know how bad we were hit, but I knew that we had to get out of there or we were going to be totally destroyed. The vehicle reached the end of the alley, barely moving. When I looked back inside the cabin of the vehicle to see it was engulfed in flames, the vehicle came to a stop in the center of the alley and at the center of MSR Violet. The infantry began to exit the vehicle while I instructed the crewman PFC voice and a few infantrymen set up a 180 around the backside of the vehicle because we were still receiving small arms fire from the alley. <clears throat> I immediately jumped back into the burning vehicle to try and put the flames out with a portable fire extinguisher. After using all of the bottle, I fumbled around the smoke-filled cabin to try and find the fire pole handle, but I couldn't see or breathe through the smoke. So I jumped out and pulled the exterior fire handle. The fire seemed to be extinguished by the AFSSS, but it was still smoldering and, and pouring smoke. At this time, uh, I looked about 25 meters away to see Sarn Alcatar waving at me as he was jumping on the back of a Humvee and leaving. He was, he was pretty bloody. He had blood all over him. So he was hobbling around. Um, uh, I continued watching over the vehicle until a Humvee came for myself and the crewman, along with the uh, infantry fire team that was watching my vehicle. The Humvee brought us about 150 meters to one of the platoon CPs that we had set up before we departed. This was also the pause of where 305 and 306 were, which we set up around the building. At the CP, I was informed by the infantry that 308 was deep into the city and that it was taking heavy fire. Uh, we jumped on a Humvee that was going to the area where the track was. The Humvee came under strong small arms fire while trying to get to the west. We had to turn back from MSR Violet and try another alley. After trying three different alleys and not reaching where we needed to go, the infantry turned back and headed for the platoon CP. There we gave the report and they informed us uh, that the platoon infantry had already started moving into 308's position. Having no communication with 308, we assumed that they were covered with the infantry. Uh, I proceeded to begin recovery operations on 307. Uh, 306 came to my pause 
And then I brought 306 to where 307 was. There we hooked up tow cables and 307 towed it back to the safety of the CP. While putting a small fire out in the engine compartment and accessing the damage to 307, I was informed that 308 was on fire and that PFC Puckett and Corporal Comb were MIA. We immediately gathered all working fire extinguishers and loaded into a Humvee and went on another run to try and get to 308. Again, we were pinned down by small arms, but we pushed through. Having found a direct route to 308, when I first set eyes on 308, the vehicle had melted almost completely down. The whole top of the vehicle had disappeared and uh, anything left standing up was the outer walls and the turret. I went to work immediately trying to put the flames out while the area was still taking heavy fire. The ramp had been dropped and I entered as far as I could into the vehicle, but the fire extinguishers had no effect on the burning vehicle. Uh, I made liaison with the staff sergeant that seemed to be in charge of the situation. He asked me how we were going to get this vehicle out of here, and I told him that there was almost no way that this thing was going to roll out of here. But I told him that if he could get me an M88 tank recovery vehicle, then we wouldn't have a problem. He said he would see what he could do, and he proceeded to the house where the infantry had set up some sort of makeshift hasten CP. I then took defile behind the bow of the vehicle and began to join the rest of the Marines on the deck and returning fire on the enemy who was still engaging us from across the street. Uh, from only about 150 meters or 50 meters away. Gulp. It's all right. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll edit that and squeeze it together. I'll make sure I put that gulp though. That gulp. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm going to leave this raw because I want I want my listeners to know this. By no means, us laughing right now is a disrespect to our brother Kevin. I bet Fuck. you Kevin right now is up there fucking cracking up, cracking his own jokes. So. This is just the way we are. You know, this is what happens after combat. I mean, it's called the dark humor that I talk about, but man, we're here remembering his life, remembering that day, remembering how that day has now affected our life. But yet we still have, you know, the need to laugh with each other. So um, go ahead, brother. Uh, It was then that I was informed by PFC Voice that PFC Puckett was inside the Hasty CP and that Corporal Colm was still inside the vehicle. At that time, I didn't believe him because I thought that both crew members of 308 were MIA together somewhere. It wasn't until I fought the intense heat back to look inside the turret basket, and there I saw the remains of an individual that I knew could only be Corporal Cone. Due to the fire that which was melting the vehicle down, there was no way to make a positive ID, but I knew that the only person that would be inside the turret would be the crew chief. So I knew that it was him. <clears throat> it took a few seconds to gain my composure. I knew that keeping my cool in this situation was the only way my Marines were going to get through this. I proceeded to the HCCP and tried to find PFC Puckett to make sure he was all right. But the infantry infantry said that he was with the squad that uh, went to another building. At that time, 306 arrived on the scene and I quickly ran to brief them on the situation. Corporal Holler immediately exited the vehicle in an almost hysterical state. He wanted to remove the body from the track, but I let him know that we couldn't due to the condition of the remains and the intense fire. After I consulted with Corporal Holler for a few moments, he too had his head on straight and the infantry staff sergeant asked us if we could try and tow this vehicle out of here. I informed him that it was very unlikely that another track could pull the burning vehicle due to its melted condition. The vehicle hole was sitting on the ground, so it would have to be drugged, not rolled. After 306, after 306 attached tow cables to 308, it moved maybe a foot before 306 started digging itself into the ground. Having put myself in charge of the recovery operation, I told 306 to move out of the way and get into a position where he could cover fire for us while we got another, we got a vehicle to pull 
308. I then told the staff sergeant that we needed an, either an M88 or an M1A1 if we were going to get this vehicle out of here anytime soon. He quickly ran to make liaison with the tanks that were laying down suppressive fire on the buildings across the street. And with the fading light, an M1 backed into position for us to hook up tow cables. We quickly removed the cable, tow cables from the tank because the M1 cables had better strength for the situation. And it was at that moment when strong suppressive fire began to erupt from 306, which had moved next to 308 and was traversing 40 millimeter Mark 19 left and right, annihilating every building in sight, which made every Marine in the area lay down so much firepower that nothing could be heard and all that could be seen was the flashes of the explosions across the way. It was, oh, yeah. time, it was time perfect considering that at that moment, I had to have the M1 shut down because the turbine engine had been burning us as we tried to connect the tow cables. It takes about two to three minutes for an M1 to shut down. So in that time, we rounded up any gloves we could to work with, with the extreme heat radiating from 308 and the M1. Once the M1 was shut down, we moved into place to make the connection. It was then that either a 50 cal round exploded in my face, which I was immediately pulled back by one of the infantry. I lost sight briefly and then continued on with the connection. Once we saw that everything was connected properly, we pulled back to 306. It was there that I found PFC Puckett already on the vehicle. I could tell he was in a state of shock because all he could say was my name. Once I assured him that everything was going to be all right, we got accountability of all my trackers and I made contact with the staff center for the last time. Found our place in the column, headed back and then proceeded to the TC of 306. It was then we followed and traced behind the flaming wreckage of 308 moving at no more than 10 to 15 miles per hour all the way back to the platoon CP where 305 was staged with 307. The M1 convoy continued on to the Cloverleaf with 308. Second section then regrouped together and hooked up 306 to 307. We proceeded to the Cloverleaf via the back alleys in the MS MSR Black. After snapping two cables on MSR Black, we reconnected with the 72,000 pound cables and we arrived at the re Cloverleaf, regrouped, and had PFC Puckett checked out with the doc on the scene. This is a statement written by myself, Corporal Reyes, Junior Rudy, United States Marine Corps. Brother. Um, wow. Those are, yeah. I mean, uh, Kurt, dude, how do you, I mean, we had you kind of tell your story beforehand, but, but brother, what do you... What do you think about that? What do you think? Because you said you kind of don't remember much. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I mean, I remember like it happened yesterday. Again, I didn't write it down. No, but it's it it's in my brain. It's it's burnt into my brain, and um, I'm glad that Rudy wrote it down. I had no idea that he looked inside and saw Kevin. Um, that kind of got me choked up. And I remember when uh, Puckett got inside the vehicle, he grabbed the back of my my leg and kind of pulled on my hammies and said, uh, he was like, hey, I did everything I could. And I just looked at him. We just kind of stared at each other. And it was like we were at a complete loss, had no idea what to do. And um, that was a tough day, man. It It, it completely changed. It changed my life. I didn't want to go outside the wire anymore after that. I talked to I talked to Gray Ghost and I'm like, dude, I'm not going anymore. And he said, um, Well, there's no choice. You have to. And so we just continued on like there was nothing wrong. And uh yeah. 
that's that's probably what led to my PTSD because I none of us could process what we had just done, what we had just seen, and then the images of of Kevin dead. You don't forget that. Wow. And I've been telling my doctors that for years. I can't. If you could dig something out of my brain, that'd be great. <laughs> you you bring that up, uh, Kurt, and on one of my it's actually my most listened to uh, episode that I've had so far is a firefighter named Tim, and Tim did his twenty eight year active, still active in the fire uh, industry in the firefighter community, and he says the most effective. The most, uh, the most effect he ever had, the most, uh, the call that most affected him ever was, uh, he had to take apart a, a mother and a daughter that were dead already after the Haiti earthquake, and they were laying on top of the other daughter that was alive still, and he literally had to take them apart to get to that the final daughter that was still alive and and get her out, and he said exactly what you said. He said you can't, you can't. You can't take it out of you, your head, and if if you you wish that you could, um. So you know, and and like you said, you've been dealing with it now for years, for years, for years. And you know, I I mentioned something when Rudy was talking, and we had that little pause for a minute, and I was totally wrong. Um, I mentioned that you know at eleven fifty nine that night we had to forget that and get back to work. That was for some of us. That was for me that I wasn't there. But man, after, you know, honestly hearing Rudy's story, some individuals had to pack pack these emotions up immediately within minutes of getting on within seconds of getting on the scene because you were in a leadership position, Rudy, and you knew exactly what was going to happen, man. If you started panicking really extreme and you just weren't keeping your composure, your Marines were going to go right after that. Yeah, bro. Absolutely. You got it. I mean, if I would have lost my shit, man, no, I mean, everybody would have lost their shit, you know? And uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard because, I mean, let's, 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 let's put all the cards on the table. How old, how old were you when this was going on, Rudy? I was, uh, let's see, I had, my, so I had my 21st birthday when we were uh, teaching the Shawanis. So I was only 20. Yeah, twenty. So he, you were twenty years old, man, <laughs> look, and look, you had to, over there laughing because he remembers the Shawanis. <laughs> you, this is where I'm trying to get at, man. This is what I want my listeners to understand because, once again, this podcast isn't only just for veterans. Um, um, right now, everybody thinks it is because we're I'm only speaking to veterans. That's what, that's who I know that has experienced some fucking severe trauma, man. Look what we're talking about here. We're talking about going up to a vehicle in the middle of a fucking firefight. And it's your best friend, one of your one of your good friends that's there, and you can't do anything about it, and you have to go either fi- return fire or find a way to get this vehicle out of there. Is what your main mission has now become. So I want individuals to understand that this is this is some extreme trauma that that twenty year olds are going through, nineteen year olds are going through, and we're at, we're being asked seconds minutes right after that put this away and get back to work and you're not really being asked to do it you just you know the situation the fucking reality is you just showed up and your one of your friends is dead if you you start thinking if i if i don't get my shit together fast this is going to be me next 
So it's, I mean, it is such a fast movement, you know, the way that the brain works. But I mean, who who wants to chime in here and 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 um, give me some thoughts on, on, I don't know. I mean, on what do you what do you guys feel that what are you guys thinking right now after hearing all of this? Obviously, I'm trying to bring some feelings up, and I'm trying to to to, to bring some thoughts some thoughts out. But you know, my thoughts are, I mean, first and foremost, I applaud I applaud you individuals because. I remember hearing about this back on base and all of us first and foremost had our flak jackets on ready to QRF and there was no QRF. We weren't going anywhere. They weren't letting anybody else out. Uh, so the whole time we don't know what's going on, but when, I mean, you guys, you guys had already, by the time you got back to base, you guys had already stuffed this into three different sea bags because you've already, Showed up to the scene, had to snap out of that. And then you had to figure out how you're going to get the, the tow cables out because they were snapping. And, I mean, so many bad things going on, dude. And you just keep on, like, stuffing it away. Stuffing. I'm here you waiting. Gotta, you got to compartmentalize that shit. Man. Yes. So, like, uh, it's funny as you bring that up because, like, uh, uh, Fatty P, were you with us? On, you were with us when we were fucking uh, snapping the cables? No. I wasn't. Now, who was with us? When Kurt, you were with me. We were snapping cables. Yeah. Yeah. So we were fucking laughing about it in the fucking vehicle on the way back because we kept going down the wrong fucking alleyways and we were towing with cables, which, you know, you're supposed to have a brake man in the fucking driver's seat of the vehicle, right? Or your dead vehicle. And like, we were just towing it with no fucking body in the back. And so whenever I come up to an intersection, I just wait for the vehicle to slam against me. And I was like, all right, all right, no, let's go this way. And then we fucking turn and wait for the vehicle to fucking slam again. And we were like laughing about it all the way back. And it's like, that's just how you compartmentalize, dude. You're like, hey, man, this is what we're doing right now. Like we can work. We, and then, we, you know, of course, when we got to the fucking Cloverleaf and we started having to fucking, you know, go through the recovery process of fucking uh, getting Kevin out of there. You know, obviously, you know, it was hitting us a little bit more, but I mean, even then I can even remember like while we were fucking digging Kevin out, it was just like, you know, we were trying to keep a happy fucking like, man, Kevin would be like, fucking dude, you're fucking up my track, man. My track's all fucked up. You fucking fuck my shit up, you know? And it's like, that's the only way that you can do it. You know, it's just, it, I don't yeah. know. I definitely think I'm learning this now. It's been how many years? That was in 04. So 16. We're talking 16, 16 years, years now. Bro. 16 yeah. years. 16 years. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I love it. And and I do think that that's a lot of how we dealt with all this, a lot of situations. So, you know, a lot of people, and I think in media and stuff, a lot of stuff is like, it's like instantly someone dies in a movie and it's like everyone's mourning, everyone's like sad yeah. and this whole deal. But I think in reality, I mean, that was early in the deployment. You know, oh, we yeah. left in October, yeah. and yeah, we got know, there. We got are, there late February. We got yeah, there yeah. late February. Yeah, at the February, so they stayed a month in Kuwait, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were there pretty fast. Like our platoon, yeah. we were out at a bridge for like a few weeks or something, and then next thing you know, like literally the next day, we went back. We we're out outside the wire, at least most of the platoon for sure, like two months. I know I yep. was, and and um, and so you know. I didn't, I knew what happened, but I didn't know what happened at that time. I, like I said, I heard it on the radio. And so 
I dealt with a lot of anger in the moment because I wanted to go and do something about it, obviously. And then after that, it creates a ton of anxiety because now you, all you want to do is it's you or them. Yeah. And it's always going to be them yeah. all the time. But you see, that's it's, it's, how I treated that. That's how I treated that situation. So I, I think it's more than just you know, that, that anxiety, was, though, because it's also the anxiety is like, fuck, am I going to be next now, too? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, after that, I don't know. I think Rudy was there, but at, we went to the bridge on uh, Euphrates after that. Darthar um, Bridge. Darthar Bridge. No, yeah. We went to the bridge and second, the, the what was left of the vehicles for second section came and met up with us there, I think. Or actually, maybe it been before. I, I don't know. I can't really remember the timeline, but I just remember being there. And at one point, like, we we're just getting mortared you know, and then we will fire back. And then, so you're just on edge because, and I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was scared. I think I was too, had too much anxiety to be scared. It was more of like, you're just heightened aware. And then you just know if anything happens, anything, you're going to hit it as hard as you can. Absolutely. Care what it is. Oh yeah. Freaking, you're going to just smash it. Yeah. That's what I tell people. I tell people that something happens after that first after that first time where so you've been training 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 and then you finally do it you know what i'm saying after that first one that you finally really really it finally hits you you no longer go zero to 100 you're constantly riding 99 you're you're yeah. on you're 99 waiting for 100 so you can just go let's go and then you just jump on it so um yeah man that, that was a uh, the great great speaking there man uh uh i don't know man let's talk let's talk about Let's talk about some more, some more of that aftermath. The way that we've dealt with it. Where? Hey, go ahead. Let me say. Can I say something? Yeah. Who's that? Who's that? You Is that what, PJ? It's, it's, it's PJ. It's O'Malley. Okay. When when we were in Udari, and and First Sergeant Smith made us giant school circle around him, and he did the whole. Yeah, I'm gonna, we're gonna we're all going out there, but I can't guarantee every one of you is coming back. Yeah, and we're like, yeah, whatever, motherfucker. You know, you know, we're 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 invincible. We're fucking Marine yeah. You're telling us that because whatever. Yeah, yeah, that type this of isn't, mentality. We're not in real war. This isn't like a real war. Whatever. Blah blah blah. blah. But yeah, when we get there, and then sure as shit, April rolls around, and Kevin dies. And a whole bunch of other Marines die, and then it's like, oh shit! You know, first arm was right. As much as as much as we didn't appreciate that, I guess the way it was delivered, it was delivered in such a light way where it's like, yeah, it's just a part of life. You know, that's going to happen. Us being nineteen, twenty-year-old kids, I don't think we took that extremely um, to heart, in a sense where I think we still felt invincible, and that's that's when. You know, we lo we lost we lost Kevin Cole, man. I mean, I, he I, wasn't mean just, I know, he yeah. Wasn't just a, a, a Marine, he was, dude. He was one of those people that everyone wanted to to be around. You know, not not like he was searching for people to hang out with, going around the barracks. Hey, what are you guys up to? People went to go see <laughs> him and uh, and drink beers with him. You know? What yeah, I'm no. I mean, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna read here. I'm gonna read here the. The L.A. Times here it says here the Los Angeles Times. I guess it was it was released on May 26, 2004. It talks about three Marines that were that were killed in action. 
Corporal Kevin Combe, tall and gargantuous, Kevin Combs is said to have had the personality of a leader. Other Marines flocked to him, enjoying his easy sense of humor and his love of rock and roll. He had the title of Pearl Jam song release tattooed on his back. He was a friend, a mentor, and a really great guy, said Lance Corporal Matthew Puckett of Mason, Texas. Corporal Combs' father, yeah, Combs' father was a Marine who served in Vietnam. His grandfather, a Marine in World War II. He considered no other choice when he decided to enter the military after a year working in construction. He was happy and ready to go into combat, said Master Sergeant Martin Vargas of Los Angeles. Early in the morning, early in the month, battle long for Fallujah, Comb, as mission commander of an amphibious assault vehicle, was given the risky assignment of rescuing Marines pinned down in a building by insurgents. With Puckett driving and Comb firing a 50 cal machine gun, the, mach- the vehicle was hit by volleys of rocket-propelled grenades and small arm fires from several di- directions. Comb refused to turn back. The vehicle caught fire. As it approached the building, Comb was killed. His body could not be immediately retrieved from the burning vehicle, but the mission was a success. In tribute, four Marines vowed to have released tattooed on their arms along with the, dates of, with the date of Combs death. So, I mean, this is, you know, the Los Angeles Times, what somebody had written Great. up. Now I, now I feel like I just, I just plagiarized whatever I said. No, about. you didn't, man. What I'm trying to say, though, what I'm trying to say, though, is exactly what, it, I mean, I'm proving your point. And plus, before you had logged on, we were talking about that. You know, I was saying about yeah. how, I was talking about how I remember how scared I was of him because of how fucking starched his cover was. He had yeah. the best. His cover could, like, you could throw it and it would, it would like, Land like a, a ninja star yeah. it was like a ninja yep. star so i mean this guy's marine <laughs> his uniform was on on point i mean i don't know what are they saying now on fleek i don't know what <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the i don't yeah. know what they're saying now but um but yeah you know don't so ever say that again. don't ever say that again <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta edit that out we are all um, dumber for hearing that. But yeah, man. But, have mercy on your soul. <laughs> but yeah, man, you know, I, it's just, this is exactly the type of show I wanted to have, man. I wanted to bring some guys on that were there, could share their story, can share their love for him, and, and can also talk about that day and how that day changed their life. You know, I mean, we've had some, some amazing views. You know, we've had Rudy's personal experience reading it from his journal. We've had Kurt speaking about what he experienced when he first walked up to the vehicle. You know, we have um, Eric talking about what he experienced being a part of this platoon, but not being able to access them, you know? And then you got my experience where I was part of headquarters platoon, listening to all this shit show go down and nothing could be done whatsoever. So um, it's, it's amazing though, because all our lives are tied together, you know, all our lives are tied together because of that deployment that day. And, and I mean, I, I love you guys, you know, you guys are my brothers. So I appreciate you guys being on this show, but I mean, who wants to go next and who wants to talk a little bit more about their experience and, and I mean, what advice can you give? Um, you know what, let me go straight to you, Kurt, because, um, you know, you and I, uh, bumped heads, right. <laughs> a little bit when I, when I first started, coming out and talking about PTSD and stuff. And I, I still, I still rolled with it. I was okay with it. I knew because you're Cuban. Yeah. It's, it's cause I'm Cuban. Watch out. We got Eric on here too. <laughs> got Eric. Eric's on here. So, um, <laughs> but 
I knew where I knew what stage you were in, kind of in a way, you know, when when you kind of like attacked me. Well, I was, I'm not gonna say attack, but whatever. When you kind of like just <laughs> said what you said that you were like, hey, what are you talking about, PTSD or whatever? You kind of like kind of downplayed it, but you've kind of like come to terms with it and realize it now, brother. There's a lot of veterans that are in your shoes right now. A lot of individuals that are in your shoes right now that have experienced trauma and maybe don't want to look at the mirror or whatever the fuck they want to call it, but what advice would you give, bro? Or what, what would you say to a younger you if you could a few years back? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, really good. I don't know. I, I didn't ignore the fact. Rudy, could you, uh, I just muted him. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he's cutting the grass or what, but that Camp Pendleton flying over. <laughs> yeah, is that what that is? I mean, you got fucking, you got cobras flying and shit. Awesome. Um, I mean, I I think I knew right away that there was something wrong, and uh, you know, when I got back from deployment, I started getting treatment pretty much, and um, yeah, I mean, I knew I was messed up, and I. I avoided for a lot of years and, you know, I think that was the hardest part is I wish that I would have taken care of it first instead of avoiding and just putting it away because then, you know, it just built up and built up over time. And last year, since that was 15 years, yep. I, I checked myself into the VA hospital in St. Cloud, Minnesota and did a 60 day inpatient treatment. Wow. Completely wow. just surrendered everything. Just said, you know what? I can't do it anymore. Um, you got to help me. And, you know, during that time, I mean, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about PTSD. Um, it was then I was able to reach out and get a, start working with an organization to get a service dog. And, um, and I got a service dog. Um, I take medication. I do everything I need to do because I, I want to live my life. I don't want to survive. And that's what I was doing. That's good. Last 15 so, years just surviving. And I want to, I want to live. I have, I'm married with three kids and. That's perfect, brother. I mean, you, you literally said it and that's what this show's about. This shows hopefully is I started this so that it's here to rewire individuals brains to survive because surviving is what, fine, we're surviving after trauma, but we need to thrive after that, man. We need to survive and thrive. And I don't mean becoming a fucking millionaire or anything like that. I mean, I'll be honest, man. I mean, PJ, using you as an example, I mean, being a, an amazing father to your daughter, even though, yeah. even though you and her mother can't be together, you know? Um, Thank God. <laughs> okay so <laughs> um you know i, I mean look uh I'm just giving i'm giving props where they're due you know i mean eric dude you 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 were i once again you don't know exactly what's behind the picture because all you see is a picture but man you live a, a beautiful life with your wife man i i love to see your guys's pictures and i love to see you guys celebrating life and now you have a daughter you know and yeah and you've been able to, um, in my eyes, become a successful, you know, jewelry designer and maker. Yeah. So yeah. Can, can I say something real yeah. quick? And can I give a, a shout out to a, a veteran organization? Yeah. Is that cool? Okay. So especially uh, Rudy and, and Kurt know for sure, 
you know, I had a lot of issues. I dealt with different things and I, I, I tried to lose my life. And um, <clears throat> probably four or five years ago, like I drank a lot and man, I, I surprised to be alive as, as far as like DUIs or not wrecking a car or anything. I've, I've woken up one time in the desert on top of a hill in the backseat of my car, no shirt on. Don't know how I got there. I've, I've done that, you know, yeah. after I got out from drinking yeah. and just being insane. And so I got hooked up in a weird way. It's a long story, but I got hooked up with Lone Survivor Foundation. And Lone Survivor Foundation is um, an amazing veteran organization. And it really changed the way I thought of PTSD and the way I thought about TBI. Any of us that have TBIs and how your brain's wired and how you operate. And once you kind of can get educated and understand how PTSD works and how your brain works now and your triggers and you hear that word a lot thrown around like on social media, but it, it's kind of a real thing and you can learn how to try to manage it. Um, and those that don't know, uh, Lone Survivor is no, a veteran organization that does um, free retreats for veterans and their families. And they do a single veteran first with just you. Then they do you and your family later on. Um, they're amazing. It's free, no cost to you. doesn't matter about your disability percentage or, percentage or anything. Um, so I would suggest any veterans out there listening to yeah. that feels like they need something because that's what it took. It took me to finally give in and say, okay, fine, I'll do this. And they sent me to Utah and it was amazing therapy and you do all kinds of weird stuff like pet horses and yoga and, you know, whatever. But it, they're making an amazing organization and I learned a lot and it's helped me to have the life I have now and give me the tools to kind of continue my life. Awesome, brother. Awesome. And, uh, and I'll go ahead and put Eric's info, uh, his Instagram and stuff like that on our on the summary of the podcast. If anybody has any questions, you guys can reach out to Eric about uh, the Lone Star. I'm sorry, about the Lone Survivor uh, program. Lone Survivor, yeah. yeah by the Lone Survivor, yeah, by Marcus Luttrell. And, uh, I mean, that's that's a tool, you know. I mean, my organization, Lone Survivor, Lone Survivor uh, Jay Redmond's Overcome Academy, when he had his his organization going on, these are all tools, the VA that, that, that Kurt's using. These are all tools that, that individuals are using, man. I want to now switch over to my brother Rudy for a second, bro, because I know um, – you're dealing with things a little differently, right? Um, you know, you're still, you're still working and yeah, differently, yeah. you know, you're still working, uh, unlike some of us that aren't. And man, I, I got to applaud you, bro, because I don't know, man. Uh, I struggle every day putting on my memorial bracelet. I don't know how you could still put on those camis. Well, Rudy is so, the core. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, man. So this guy, I'm glad you said it because I was gonna fucking I was gonna bring it up myself, man. But uh, it, it's 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 tough, man. And uh, um, when I was on the depot, I had a. Uh, you guys know that like right after I. And for individuals right after, that don't yeah, know um, what the depot means, is that he was a drill instructor. Yeah. So right after we got back from Fallujah, I went straight to the depot and uh, you know kind of started my this professional thing that I needed to do. And uh, fuck, man, I was. I was drinking a fifth of fucking Jack Daniels like every fucking night, you know what I mean? And, and it was, it was fucking killing me and it started affecting me at work and shit like that as, you know, being a drill instructor and, um, first aren't there fucking, he saw that I was having problems and had me go talk to the wizard, uh, had me go fucking, you know, get, seek some help and shit like that, you know? And I kind of vented my, my stuff out, but it wasn't until I got my DUI, and fucking realize I was like, fuck, man, this shit is really fucking with me. 
and I kind of made like a, I don't know what you want to call it, man. Like a self pact to yourself. Yeah. Self act, but it was like a self treatment. Okay. So I said to myself, I said from every year on the April 13th and on the set in, in the spring and in the fall on September 13th, I'm going to fucking, so basically I'm going to bottle up all of my shit. I know you don't want to hear that, man. But no brother. I know that's ahead. not good for people, but I was like, I'm going to bottle up all my shit. And I was like, I'm going to fucking release it on those two days, two times out of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit with my fucking friends and I'm going to vent all of this fucking shit out. And that's basically the only way that I've made it these last 16 fucking years, man, is that I fucking do that. And, and anytime that I get in between with, a, with other veterans and other guys that have been to the war and shit like that, uh, that I get to do that. That's, that's really the only thing that's fucking really helped me, man. Other than that, I, I compartmentalize, I put all that fucking shit away and I fucking lock it away and I go, I put on my fucking camis every day. Uh, and I, and I go to work. No, that's perfect. Know? I mean, I want to hear that. I want to hear that from you because it's the same thing, man. It's the same thing that's going on with police officers and firefighters, bro. These guys have to do, put this away and put it inside for 20 years. And then one day, it's not that you're no longer needed. It's it's one day you no longer have to put it away anymore. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. So so let me um, let me let go me ahead. go ahead. So, <laughs> so uh, it's only in the last fucking couple of years, man. I, and I think it's probably my age. I don't want to fucking say that I'm old as shit, but fucking <laughs> we're all fucking getting fucking pretty up there. Yeah. And the techniques that I've used for the last 16 years really aren't fucking working anymore. So like in the last couple of years, like I've actually gotten into some fucking trouble in the Marine Corps and fucking, um, shit, man. It's, it's, it's cost me fucking a lot. Uh, people bring up shit, man. And it fucking triggers me to the point to where I don't fucking even know where I am anymore. And it starts. So the, the measures that I was taking to mitigate the risk in an ORM, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Are, <laughs> are no longer fucking working anymore. So, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that you hit me up, man. They're that's right. what I was trying to get to, man. That, that That's what these cops are doing, bro. These guys are, and, the, and these firefighters and these 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 uh, service members, they're keeping this shit in, putting it in inside this, this compartment of yours. And then all of a sudden, because you think you need to for work, and then all of a sudden, one day, like I said, work is gone, then what the fuck are you going to do that day? That's when all of it starts creeping out. So I'm glad that yeah. you started realizing that now, man, because now you should have been dealing with this. We all should have been dealing with this a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I would say, you know, what I learned, which is interesting, this is what kind of helps me kind of understand, is um, when I was on one of my retreats in, in Utah, Park City, Utah. If y'all never been, go. Beautiful place. Um. I did. They they hooked my brain up to these these like wires, right? The VA or the uh, you know the Marine Corps, Navy never did any of this to me. Um, and it had me. They they told me that basically the back of your brain is like primal, and the front of your brain is like emotion, and that they can tell by my brain waves that the back of my brain has hijacked the front part of my brain. So I'm constantly in a fight or flight mentality at all times. And that's kind of where I was kind of going back to with the whole anxiety deal of you're always, like you said, you're on 99 ready for a hundred. You're time. kind of always there and it's kind of hard to relax and just, and just let be. And everyone has their own ways. A lot of times with us, it's, it's alcohol or, or drugs or, or, you know, some type of way you need to get that release of that energy of that anxiety that you have. Um, 
And, and so learning that it kind of helped me understand. And so, you know, I, w- I would, I guess, I don't know, I kind of go down these wormholes. So I'm trying to remember my point here, but I guess, I guess my point is like, you, you have to try to understand what you got going on and, and, and put it away helps just to kick it down the road, but it's not going away until you decide to unpack it. And I can't imagine for like Rudy, for example, being in service, and kind of doing that. Cause I know for my time when, you know, when I was in now I've almost been out longer than I was in. Um, that's not what you do, especially when you're a senior uh, staff NCO or officer or whatever, you don't kind of, you can't show that, you know, you gotta, you gotta be perfect, you know, and it's kind of hard to do that. But I, I talking to us and people that you're with and going over it and, and people that truly understand, I think it's the, the best medicine, you know, no drugs. The VA tried to put me on drugs. I said, I got off of them. Their, their people were just, I mean, you're just another person. You're just rolling through, you know, it's weird. Like for me, this is a kind of a weird quirky thing. I don't know if I'll do this. I hate the number 13. Right? We all know why it's obvious to us. You go to try to talk to someone that doesn't understand what's going on. doesn't care. They're just like, Oh, that's irrational fear. You know, but I can't even have the volume on my TV on the number 13. It fucking throws me off, you know, and then I get pissed and I fucking flip out, you know, so it's it's just one of those things. So I'm yeah. I'm 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 fucking blown away that those machines even read anything on your brain. So <laughs> um, but- <laughs> I was just waiting for him to stop talking so I could say that I was like, all right, I got to throw this one in there. But no, man, um. I agree with you, bro. I I 100% agree with you that we find these weird ways to get that adrenaline out. I mean, PJ, I'm sure you could talk about this, right? Because oh my god, dude. um, I mean, I I remember when I got so excited when I got my motorcycle. I send you a picture of it, and you're like, "Nope, I'm done with that, dude. I got a daughter, this and that." And and <laughs> well, I look, I understood why you were saying it because no, you don't. Y- yes, I do because you didn't have a bagger like I did. You had this fucking crazy motorcycle, I, I and you were speeding everywhere and. Um, I mean, talk to me though, bro. I mean, what, what were you doing to get some of this adrenaline out, bro? Oh my God, man. Um, so you asked the question, what do I tell my younger self? Yes. What would you tell your younger self? I did ask that question. Yes. Well, that would be my, that would be my, something I tell my younger self is, uh, stop chasing the dragon. Stop chasing that high. Stop trying to stop trying to chase that feeling that you felt out there because you'll never ever feel it again unless you know you're still in and you're doing the same shit and i sure as shit i'm not doing that um i've told people not to cut you off hold on not to cut you off real quick but i've told people that the only the only time i've ever come close to ever feeling that is when my life has ultimately really been in danger like when i've gone skydiving that shit can still possibly happen you still get that little rush but other than that it, it, it nothing ever does Look, man, I felt invincible. Um, if we, when we survived all that shit, I mean, we got fucking when we, name a night that we weren't mortared or rocket attacked. Uh, I can't remember a single one where every day death wasn't staring us right in the face. And, so and, and, like and I, I, I accepted that. And your and story, your story goes a little extra mile too, right? Because I mean, we got back from yeah. deployment and yeah. you got yellow on us. <laughs> literally yeah, literally did, like i mean you were walking on the ramp so we we survive everything he's talking about every fucking night getting mortared and all this shit we get back from deployment 
And yeah. we're all walking around and we're like, man, you look really yellow today. And he's like, fuck you guys. So he goes to medical yeah. and they find out he has cancer, right? Yep. Well, it was, yeah, it wasn't that easy. Medical poked me around and brought in all the other idiots to come see and look at the medical specimen. We've never seen something like this before. Yeah, Motrin you know, wasn't taking us away. Hold right, on, hold on. That's, that's, not, that's not how it went, all right? First of all, <laughs> right. we were all Rudy at knows. fucking, we were all at Piglet Manor. Uh, yeah. Fucking, <laughs> yeah. Fucking, we all used to fucking pile up in my fucking truck and fucking go to work and shit like that. And this dude yep. was like, in the morning, and we are all in camis, and he's like, Dying. do my eyes look yellow? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, dude, they kind of do, but we're gonna be late for formation. We gotta go. <laughs> yep. All right. So yeah, up? man. So so I mean, I, I just want my listeners to understand, dude. That I think out of everybody I know, you kind of had that extra level because you almost really lost your life when you came back well, too. You know. Well, let me let me fill fill your listeners in. Uh, we got back in October, and then we had a nice set of block leaves set up for us. Yeah. During that block leave, me and Rudy Reyes and a, and a few other Marines in our company got a got a house out in uh, Oceanside uh, to rent, and we just fucking partied and you know lived it up, spent all our money as soon as we got home, you know, like and, you're supposed um, to do. <laughs> we get back, we get back off of a uh, buttload of money. Christmas yes. time, yeah, buttload of money. I spent like eight grand, but anyway, we get back like a uh, Christmas time off our Christmas leave and I show up to formation and I'm jaundice. And I wake up that morning. I'm like, fuck dude, I feel like shit. You know, my eyes are yellow and it takes, they take me down to a BAS and BAS didn't know what the flying fuck was going on. And so they sent me to uh, the base hospital at Mainside, where I just basically just was shutting down. <clears throat> and it turns out that, I had developed uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is uh, cancer. And I spent um, from January, what, 2nd, all the way to May in the hospital getting chemo and uh, going through crazy, crazy PTSD dream nightmares, uh, not being able to sleep, um, just the worst torture you could imagine on top of being separated from all my brothers that I just went through this horrifying fucking bonding, um, powerful experience with. And, um, that, I think that was the hardest part, man. Uh, when it comes to grieving and when it comes to bonding and, and working through painful, um, experiences like this, it's relying on your friends and being around your brothers and, and being able to have some kind of normal, you know, conversation, hanging out, at least just seeing them. And I didn't get to do any of that. Um, I got a lot of visits in the hospital, but, you know, it's not, it's not the same, man. Everyone's looking at me like I'm dying, which I was. But, you know, it's like, fuck, you, know, you don't want to put that burden on your brothers. You just want to be able to hang out with them. And um, I got medically I got medically discharged. Um, in September of that year after being on convalescent leave. And after that, I was lost. I had no fucking clue. I was going to be a Marine for life. That was my, that was my goal. That was yeah. My, I mean, you were definitely a Lance Corporal for life. You were definitely no. a Lance Corporal for life. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I loved it. I, I picked up, uh, I picked up pretty quick. I did pretty good, but I was definitely going to get busted down sooner or later for sure. <laughs> but that, that turned into me chasing that camaraderie, chasing that high 
Um, it got into a whole bunch of alcohol use. I got into, I even got into steroids really briefly. Uh, that didn't feed into my anger issues uh, at all very nicely. Um, I've had, I've had drunken blackouts where I've destroyed my house. I've had, I've, I hear that fights, fist fights with my own blood, my brother. I've, I've, I've woke up in a pool of my own blood curled up in a ball with a gun in my, in my lap. Um, and then I got even worse. I got, I brought in relationships into my life. I started, uh, fucking around with, you know, women that had no idea what they were dealing with and they had their own issues and more drinking and booze. And then I got um, motorcycles. Yeah. We, we end up, so we end up <laughs> Hey, 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 don't, don't hate on the, don't hate on the fucking bikers now, bro. Them. Not hate <laughs> no, not no, joking though. No, I mean, re- in reality though, I know what you're talking about, man. We, and yeah, man, I mean, so go ahead. You were talking, you, you, you ended up, you know, getting, you know, yourself in trouble. Just deep dude. Not, not necessarily in trouble, just not in a place where I want to be in my life. Um, I just, fuck, I just got a divorce and then I just got sucked into the wrong direction of, you know, riding motorcycles, 120, 130 miles an hour on the highway and partying all night and all day and hanging out with, you know, hell's angels and fucking, you know, bad dudes, you know, not, not guys that are trying to improve their lives and be good about them themselves. And I, I've had an awakening uh, one day, I'll tell you the truth. Um, I went to the Hells Angels 50th anniversary party in Oakland, and I was maybe one of two other people who wasn't a Hells Angel there. But I knew quite a few of them, and I ended up doing blow on a tour bus with a whole bunch of them. And I had to ride my motorcycle back from Oakland all the way to uh, Sacramento area, is where I live now. And that was, you know, a hundred miles of pure ass clinching, you know, California highway fun. And I get home and I'm up for three days and I get home and I look at my, my house and I have this room for my daughter there. And I instantly realize, holy shit, what the fuck am I doing, dude? I can't be doing this shit anymore. I have a baby. I had, this is my, this is my goal in life. I have to be a dad. I have to be there for this little girl. I can't be gone. I see what loss does to families and people. I've had it in my own life. So that's that's what woke me up. It wasn't even, you know, when my daughter was born, I was still in the fog of being in a bad relationship. It, it took me fucking up to get to the point where, man, I needed to just realize myself. I needed to wake up myself and get out there and just get rid of it all. So I did, man. I built my own bike by from 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 every piece by hand i got really passionate into it and i sold that shit i sold it i bought a house i moved and i just started being a dad dude i just started being doing dad things and taking my kid everywhere and loving that time with my daughter and it gets me away it forces me it really does force me to check myself and be present and and not be this 100% always ready to go fuck someone up dude because that's it's your daughter or your son whoever's in your life if you have a kid is the most important loving blessing creature in your in your world and it forever will be and i never realized how much i loved 
um, my daughter until that point where I just cleared my head and I got to that point where I wanted to be a dad. I mean, we all know that feeling because we all know our kids. Rudy doesn't know his kids yet. He still hasn't met them yet. Um, oh, man. They're out there. They're, they're somewhere they're out there overseas and stuff. So. <laughs> Yeah, they just got these some running around here in this town. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I and I could have sworn I there was the little kid one time I saw that from the main attraction. I don't know. So, um, but <laughs> fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, purple church. That's the but, best uh, breakfast on Sunday. Um, but no, man. I I I, I on a serious note, I do one hundred percent have to agree with you, PJ. Dude, the, the what what these little ones do to our life. Um, yeah. they, yeah, they, they kind of snap you into reality and, and it's, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's actually another whole episode that I want to have eventually with you. Cause I have something I still struggle with. And I think it's, it's, it goes to with that whole thing that I've waited too long to ask for help or I've waited too long to look in the mirror. Um, or, I mean, people will, will, will hear me say this a lot in, in my previous episodes. There's a, a book I've read from a friend of mine, uh, a Navy SEAL named Jimmy Hatch, that's called Touching the Dragon. And, and, and that, it, it, once you touch that dragon, um, it took me a long time to touch that dragon is what I'm saying. And I, I finally touched it. And I guess my problem is I like to have it around with me. I'm so used to, I'm so used to having being on 99 and, and having that all that stress with me that I don't feel normal without it. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I, I try to, I try to dig into some of these guys' minds, your guys' mind when I, whenever, whenever I can to talk, because it's not easy, man. Mm-mm. Kurt, man, you're, no, not, you're, man. you're over there. So quiet, bro. I thought you were on pause for a second. <laughs> no, I'm just, I thought Kurt I'm, left. I'm just listening, <laughs> man. I'm a, uh... what are you thinking, bro? Tell me. I'm a, I'm older now, so so am I, bro. I'm, I just turned Whatever, thirty-eight. Dude. I just turned thirty-eight, so I'm not. It was interesting what PJ was saying that you know it's. I don't know. It, it's been a it's been a long time. It has, bro. But I mean, this is something that I think I'm so happy is happening right now. Five of us talking, and I wish. I wish I could have been recorded that whole week that I spent um, over there in, in California for that reunion. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers me in 2004. All I did was take fucking pictures and record. Yeah, you did. But in, <laughs> in that reunion, um, and I talk about it on my first episode, and now I talk about it when I do public speaking. I went to that reunion just to say goodbye. Um, and I let me tell you, I live really, I live really fucked up afterwards because... I went to that reunion to say goodbye because my plans were to like take off to Belize or somewhere afterwards when I came back from that reunion. And then what ends up happening was I, I came back from that reunion, a different individual. I, f- I said that I felt like somebody, when I, when I, whenever I do my public speaking, I tell people that I felt like I had an elephant sitting on my back and on my chest. And after that reunion, I felt like they both got up and I was able to take my first real breath of fresh air. But it didn't work that way for all of us, man, because... I don't want to name names, but one of our brothers that went to that reunion shortly right after that did exactly what I wanted to do. Try to take off, you know? Yeah. So, um, it goes to show how he's good now though. He's good now. Um, that's what I've been hearing. Yeah. But I wanted to bring that up. You know, that 
I think this is so important. This is so huge. If we're able to do what we're doing, give each other the right constructive, um, not criticism, man. I, I honestly, instead, instead of we're not even pushing ourselves, dude, we're literally just putting our arms around each other and walking together is what we're doing. And that's what we need to do. You know, um, what you need to do is, which is what I feel happened with that brother of ours is that maybe he, he was that last guy at the edge of that group that we were walking and he was able to sneak away, you know? And I think what we need to do is constantly be pulling ourselves back in. Um, so I think uh, right now what we're doing is huge because I want other, other people that are listening to do this. And, and like I said, it doesn't have to be combat veterans. If you know somebody, if you've been through, let's say, unfortunately a rape, or if you've been through a car accident, or if you've been through a, a severe hurricane, a loss of cancer, find yourself somebody that's been through that same exact thing or you know, that same experience with you, a family member, find somebody that was there with you, man, and start talking to these individuals because these are truly the only ones that understand, not the wizard that you go speak to at medical, none of these people, because I've spoken to trained professionals, I've spoken to doctors, and, and, and by all means, I'm not bragging on these people. They do great help. They know what they're doing. They want to know, they want to help. But the problem is, in reality, you feel like you're talking to somebody that never understands you at the end of the day. But now when I talk to you guys, it's, it's a totally different feeling, man. There's only one place to get it, man. And that's from, that's from the people that have been there, man. Yeah. That's why I highly encourage this. And I, and that's why today when I, ironically, I um, picture of you, PJ. Who? Yeah. <laughs> Look, look at that, that hair. Look at that fucking haircut. <laughs> bro, yeah, I remember man, I BJ had some hair, bro. He had like bro. the longest hair in the company, I think. Yeah, <laughs> man, I love my hair. <laughs> oh, oh man. But uh, I was, that's what I was looking for. I was roaming around the house looking for my pictures earlier because I got some good pictures. Bro, I don't know what the fuck you were doing walking around, bro, because <laughs> you kept on looking in the same places. You kept on looking. Kept you were walking around the the living room, and then I kept on seeing a tree. You were back outside, I told, and then I back inside, you, just, and then back. I just hit that weed just a little bit prior to going and searching, man. Hard out here in the streets, all right. Oh man! So what's up there, Kurt? What are you feeling, brother? I was just gonna say, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to knock, you know, the doctors because no, no, no. That's what I'm saying, bro. Look, I've, I'm not I, knocking I've, them. I've, yeah, I mean, I finally went to him, and I, I, I did what Eric did and stopped taking meds and all that stuff, and now I'm back on all the meds. And, Where it uh, works for some people, man. My life is actually getting better because of the medication. So I'm afraid to stop taking the medication because I don't want to go back to the way I was before. Yeah. So it's been helpful to me. Granted, I do have a service dog now too, which is a you know, a, a big stress reliever too. Um, a lot yeah, of changes I mean, though. A lot of changes have come to your life in the last few, I would say just a year. Yeah. The but that's more, just that right there. Helps. Yeah. I've really had to step up and, and uh, take control of it. Cause it was, it was definitely controlling my life. Um, you just gotta, you, you gotta ask for help. That's all it is. I mean, if thank you, if you're a veteran or anybody that's struggling with PTSD or anything, it's nobody's going to tell you to 
it, well, people can tell you to do stuff until they're blue in the face, but you have to be the one that steps forward and actually does it or, you know, do the treatment and get through it. And it was hard. I had to surrender everything. I, I sobbed for like the first two weeks I was in treatment um, because I was so down on myself. I was so hurt inside. When I pulled Kevin out of that vehicle burnt, that's how the inside of my body feels is completely black and burnt. And it was hard for me to just go through that and relive, you know, that day. And, um, but you, you got to ask for help. You have to be the one that to take care of yourself. The VA is not going to force you to do anything. I could walk. I can, I could tell my doctor right now, I'm done talking to you. See you later. And they're not going to do nothing. Right. And you're right. Hey, I think that, I, good, 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 good. Eric. No, I was just going to say that that black feeling, you know, <clears throat> I think we all at some point felt that you, you just don't care anymore. Like you literally do not care about nothing. You're numb. You know, it's and, a numb, and, it's uh, a numb dead you feeling. Totally, you have no sympathy and no empathy. And then when people come to you with problems or, or excuses, you're just like, you just brush it off or maybe, you're like, you're like, like, give fuck. And then everybody's yeah, always exactly. asking you. And <laughs> and then everybody's like, bro, do you even give a fuck? Do you care that I'm what I'm telling you? And you're like, I'm just yeah. numb. Like, uh. yeah, you, you do, you, you're numb and you don't care. And like Kurt said about the, I think help is one thing. I did the same thing. You know, I, I kind of bounced around. And then when I settled here in Texas, I was like, all right, I'm going to try to get some help now. And I, and I did. And I, and it was kind of, it was weird. And it, like I said, it, like I said earlier, it's a long story, but it, you know, it took me talking. I talked to some guy I never met on the phone. He's like, I don't know what he does. He works for some organization on an army base in San Antonio. And the dude was persistent. He called me like once a week and he wasn't a counselor. He's not a doctor. He's not anything. He's a, he's a guy that helps veterans find programs and stuff. And I for, I forget. I was trying to get my TBI checked out and that's what, how I got connected with him. And I think because he just was so persistent for like a year, he called me and emailed me like weekly and I would like brush him off and I would talk to him. And when I did talk to him, he was great. He always had a great personality. He was, he never gave me any problems. Like he didn't complain to me about nothing. And he was like the opposite of most people you talk to. Was he a vet? And that dude led me to Lone Survivor and that's kind of how all that started. But it, it was crazy to find somebody that, kind of hooks you up and i think that's a problem with most of us is that you don't know where to start and it's not easy there's no like here you go this is who you need to talk to you know it's like right and everyone's different the way they do things are different and so that that's how it worked it just worked out for me and hopefully other people just stay persistent and you'll find your way you know what were you gonna say rudy oh so i was gonna go back to uh to what kurt said man so like well two things i was Fuck, I lost my train of thought. But uh, one of the things was <laughs> was uh, I want to go back to fucking what we were saying earlier, uh, where um, the realism of everything that had happened, you know, it didn't fucking really hit me until. And Kurt is like one of the big fucking things that fucking it actually hit me. So uh, after we after we dug Comb out of the fucking out of the track and shit, we put him in that that fucking black bag. And, uh, I slept in the back of the fucking 
I remember I slept. I don't know whose vehicle it was. I don't know if it was yours, Eric, or uh, or, or whoever's, but I slept in the back of the vehicle, and I fucking uh, I was like, I had my arm wrapped in the loopholes of fucking Kevin's bag, and so like I was sleeping on top of on top of him, and. I remember sitting there and the hatch was open and I was just like sitting there and I woke up and it was daylight out and we fucking moved back to the fucking, to the fob. And, uh, when we moved back to the fob, we jumped on a Humvee and I don't know, you remember that? You remember that, uh, Kurt? And we went to the fucking, we took took a Bravo surgical. Yeah. We took in a Bravo surgical. Mm -hmm. And when we got out of the fucking Humvee, fucking, you know, we got the bag out and we fucking were carrying Kevin over to the fucking thing. And some one of those fucking cocksuckers fucking dudes was like, he was like, oh, he's a little guy. And fucking I, I thought I had to fucking grab fucking Kurt because he was about to like, he was just about to annihilate that fucking guy, dude. He's like, you motherfucker. And I was like, grabbed him. And then like we got back in the Humvee and I, I just that I think it wasn't until like fucking what, 15, 18 fucking hours later that. I realized the severity of the situation, you know, and I was like, fuck, you know, and it fucking, it just hit me fucking hard, man. I wanted to fucking say that. That's, that's all I want to say on that one. No, 100%. I think you mentioned that, didn't you, Kurt? Yeah, I did. You had yeah, mentioned that it. before Rudy was on. Yeah. He, yeah. He had said, uh, he must've been a small guy. Yeah. Yeah. What a dick. Yeah, what a dick. <laughs> but uh yeah, man, and uh and not to knock on fucking oh that's what I was gonna say. Another thing I was gonna say, not to knock on all the all the treatments and all the other places that you can go, you know, like like I said, I ha- I'm not like, knocking on them. I'm just no, no, saying no, 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 I'm saying to no, me, I'm this saying is I'm, this is the motherfucking treatment right here. I'm These saying, guys. I'm saying I'm not not I'm not knocking on all the treatments that like Eric is saying, like to the Lone Survivor Foundations and all that shit like that. I mean, after all these years, dude, really the only thing that I've found is this right here. This is this is the only thing that fucking really makes it fucking happen for me and makes me back to fucking baseline. This right here, man, this always fucking snatches me back and it makes me fucking makes me feel amazing. So I, I Thanks for fucking hitting up, Ozzy. Hey, man, I appreciate I appreciate you uh, you agreeing to this, man. I didn't know I didn't know how you guys were going to take it when I first brought it up. So I'm just glad everybody said yes. So I mean, shit, I'm glad PJ jumped on my live on Facebook, and then we were able to get him on here. So, uh, um, I do I do want to ask uh, you, Rudy, what would you what would you tell your younger self, man? Because I I do know I do have listeners that are still active duty. I did receive a letter the other day. Actually, it was a, a message the other day from somebody that is still active right now as an officer. And he told me that, you know, my episodes, my first couple episodes really touched home to him and um, made him go, made him go and ask for help. And I just want to. I want to ask you specifically, man, because if you could give yourself some advice, your younger self, knowing that you're still going to be active duty and stuff like that, because you mentioned that you've gotten yourself in, in, in trouble and stuff like that. You know what? What would you tell yourself, brother? I mean, if you had that chance right now. Uh, so I, I mean, it's hard to say, man, because, you know, I want to say that the way that I said before where I said I compartmentalize and I vent. Uh, on these, on these certain days and like, get that, get that out and stuff like that has really worked for me. I think maybe if I had, if I spread it out more and and got out 
more over the years and stuff like that. Uh, seek out, seek out like minds, man. Always seek out, you know, and it, it's hard for us to do it, but like a lot of the guys, like I was in, I was, when I was stationed in Dubai, I was with a bunch of fucking, you know, force recon guys and, and, and infantry guys. And I ended up making friends with a really fucking great guy named John Summer. And he was with fucking, uh, three, one or uh, out there in fucking in Fallujah. And like, I'm telling stories to him and he's like, dude, you were in, you were over here on route violet. And I was like, yeah, I was on route violet. And he's like, I was on route violet. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we just hit off like right out of nowhere in, in, in Dubai in another fucking country. And it's like, if I could tell myself, man, is like seek out people and, and try to vent some of this stuff out. That you could get along with. Something that you could I mean? get along like with. This, yeah. And, and, and get your stories out and to just sit there and fucking tell stories, man. Just like, it's not a, it's not a dick measuring contest. It's just, and he never did that. Like, and that was the one thing that he loved about me. And I loved about him is that he was infantry and I was an Amtracker and, you know, fucking, you know, pogues and fucking all this shit, that, that shit didn't matter, man. It was like, Hey, we were both in the same fucking place, same fucking time. And these are our fucking stories. And we told each other stories and it was fucking amazing, dude. Yeah, and like, we understood we all ate the same crayons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <dude. laughs> so yeah, get, get those stories out, man. Don't, don't bottle up as much as I did because, uh, the, the bottle deteriorates over time. You know what I mean? And, and it doesn't hold as, as well as it used to. And I'm seeing that now and, and, and my older years and stuff like that. But, uh, I wish that I would have known it a, a, a few years ago. Yeah. And I want to touch on that real quick. Go ahead, too, brother. If I can, just to reach out to other people, you know, when I was working in Camp Pendleton, after I got out of the Marine Corps, I was a contractor for about five years. And uh, I actually reached out that, to that platoon sergeant, Rudy, that was on the ground. Oh, that staff sergeant? Yeah. And he's, yeah? He, he was a, uh, a master sergeant working at a, the Stephen Sue Academy. Fucking A, man. So I Hell called yeah. him and just told him, like, dude, this is what I've been going through. You know, how have you been? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we just kind of talked through it. I got in contact with that captain. Well, he was a lieutenant that got wounded, Ayers. I called him up on the phone, told him, you know, stuff I've been going through that I hated him. That, you know, and I wanted to tell him I was sorry for hating him because I don't anymore. It's not his fault that Kevin died. Um, I just wanted somebody. I wanted somebody to blame. Yeah, we all did, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, it was his time. Mm-hmm. And it sucks, you know. He was so young. I mean, I was twenty three. I think he was twenty, twenty two, twenty one, maybe. Um, you just don't want to see him go, and. Uh, it's hard for me to let him go. I can't. I, I have a tattoo, you know, on my arm with his initials the day he got killed. And um, he's, it's, yeah, he's just, <laughs> I, 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 I can't forget Kevin and the sacrifice he made on that day. And I, I feel like I've been living my life. Um, there's things I wish I could have done better. You know, I, Me too, I, spent, buddy. I spent almost 12 yeah. years in 12 years in the Marine Corps and recruiting duty went downhill in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
my Marine Corps career just spiraled out, spiraled out of control and I had to get out and, uh, you know, I basically got forced out. So. Hey, I'm, I'm not going to, I, I don't want to, I, I, I miss him, man. Hey, that shit wasn't your fault, dude. Like <laughs> I, I went through that same fucking shit, dude. Like mm -hmm. I, I told you that story, how fucking we pulled our nose when, when they gave us that fucking mission on that day, that morning. And we pulled the nose of our vehicles together and we popped out of our turrets. Mm, and we fucking, yeah, yeah. Me, and, me and Kevin came together and they told us all that. All they told us is like, we got to go fucking flush these guys out of this building. They didn't say which vehicle had to go. They just said, fucking, you guys got to go do this. And we fucking no shit Rochambeau on who was going to fucking go left and who was going to go right. And it was a fucking matter of fucking, you know what I mean? Like, that's mm -hmm. all it was, dude. He went, he went right and I went left. I could have been the one fucking on the other end of that shit. You know what I'm saying? It's just, we can't, we can't, man. We can't, we can't fucking sit there. It was just, fuck, you know? That's what you said, man. Yeah, I mean, he, was, he was doing what he was, what he was there to do. We were all doing our jobs, brother. Mm -hmm. It could have been any one of us, bro. We never really die. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely right, man. We'll all, we'll fucking... All of you will always, you will always live as long as fucking I live and vice versa. Yep. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for this. And I could guarantee that um, so many other people are thanking you right now for sharing the story and and speaking up speaking up about, um, about how normal PTSD is and how normal our experiences were and how normal, how normal it is to go down and up in life the way we have oh, yeah. after properly not taking care of it when we've gone through the stuff we've gone through. Um, like I said, uh, this, this is, uh, this is hopefully here to help people do more than surviving. Like Kurt said, right. Um, cause, uh, it was you that said it, right, Kurt, that just surviving doesn't just cut it. Um, I tell people this, this is what I tell people. Uh, Surviving is treading water. Uh, it sucks treading water, man, because, yeah, you're surviving. You're staying alive, but you're drinking water in. You still feel like you're fucking dying sometimes and you're drowning. All right. The, the, the important thing is to survive and thrive. So uh, those are my key words here for the podcast. And I want to thank these amazing Marines that served with me in 2004 at Alpha Company and uh these these guys are are dear dear to my heart like i said especially pj and rudy because you guys were there when when my life switched because I, I i went from honestly the worst of my life i mean weeks before not even weeks man days before you guys had seen me i was going on three four day cocaine binges in my house in miami wanting to die and uh you know, uh, luckily I answered Kulak's phone. Actually, I didn't answer Kulak's phone. He left me a voicemail and I called him back and I had nothing else to do. I didn't have my son that weekend and I went ahead and immediately bought my plane ticket and I stayed over at his house. I was there for a week. So it was the best decision I could have ever done. And I regret that it took me 10 years to, to look at myself in the mirror with you guys you get what i'm saying because the whole time i thought i was just alone the whole time i was i was looking at myself in the mirror and i was so focused on myself that i didn't notice all you guys were standing behind me so 
I oh yeah, brother. I appreciate you guys. Uh, I love you guys, mm-hmm. and thank you so much, man. I hope we we could help some individuals with this episode. You are not alone. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Post Traumatic Survival Podcast. We sure do appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll receive notifications from us as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. We certainly appreciate it. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show. We appreciate you and them. Until next time, survivors.